Green Thumbs Rejoice. It's the Bob Olin Show, brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feedback in Superior. The WLFSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig. Now, KDAL's Master Gardener, Bob Olin. And away we go with the Bob Olin Show. And Bob, here we are, the 7th of June, getting close to your deadline for planting of June the 10th, right? What a gorgeous uh, morning for gardening and anything that you want to do outdoors, huh, Dave? Yeah, I think we might finally be uh, done with the uh, major frost issue, are we? Well, I sure hope so. <laughs> I would, uh, I'd bet on it at this point. We're getting pretty darn close. Yeah. It seems like uh, we don't have any frost in the forecast. We're coming up to my June 10th date, which I kind mm-hmm. of use as a guideline for putting frost-sensitive materials in the ground, so we're getting very close there, too, so... I think, as we say in the business, it's go time. It's time to get some things <laughs> in the ground, get things moving along. I yeah. think we are going to have a very good growing season. We had just some nice, nice rain there in May and early June. Uh, that got things off to a good start. Boy, I'll tell you, our pastors really needed that. It's amazing how dependent uh, we really are on moisture. That seems to be even more critical than temperature. All of, Oftentimes, where we kind of focus on how cold it is and these frost-free dates and the short growing season and we overlooked the fact that uh, we need uh, good moisture to make things grow as well. But just look at the landscapes now, Dave. They're just gorgeous, aren't they? Yep, everything seems to be blooming and uh, maybe a little later than usual, but at least it's underway now. Yeah, we're off to a little bit later start, but it's uh, it's kind of like catch-up time. We seem to make up for lost time pretty quickly. <laughs> I do try to monitor soil temperatures. They were sitting down in the low 50s for a long time there, and we're working our way up right now, so... I think that's kind of critical if you want to do some direct seeding. We take a look at uh, warm season crops. The, the later the maturing, the warmer the season the crop, the uh, the more important it is to have warm soil temperatures. So we're up there in some areas, 58, 59, 60 on the lighter sandy soil. So I think it's it's time to go. You can certainly put in the green beans, the snap beans, and uh, certainly your cucumbers and other things that you want to direct seed, your squash and pumpkins and sweet corn, all those things can go in the ground at, at this point. I think we're in... We're in pretty good shape that way, Dave. It's kind of interesting. You know, I uh, I was forced to buy a uh, cucumber. Uh, I would say a paraffin-encased cucumber is really hard to do, but it was my contribution to a salad, so I had to buy one of those cukes. And boy, are we looking forward to growing our own now, oh. something that's fresh. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of bizarre. What, what do they do? They put it in wax or something? Yeah, I think they use a paraffin and keep them from desiccating, from drying <laughs> out. And it was grown someplace long period of time. I'm yeah. kind of... I like to source things always domestically. It comes from the United States. Right. Uh, unless you've traveled other places, uh, you, you kind of take the good standards we have for granted. But certainly we've got good controls over what's being used and how crops are being grown. So, But that means a lot of this crop came in uh, quite a while ago, and uh, they do what they can to keep them from drying out. But anyway, I peeled the skin off and had to make my contribution to kind of a group <laughs> salad. So I was forced to buy one of those uh, paraffin-encased uh, cucumbers. Very good. Hey, we got a call already, Bob. Hi, who's this? Hi, this is Ron. Hey, Ron. Hello, Ron. Hi, uh, Bob. I uh, spoke to you last fall. I have a a battle with, uh, which will occur here shortly, with uh, sod webworms. So, and I spoke to you. I I bought a uh, piece of equipment that will do the job. I guess my question is. are they down there munching now, or should I? When should I hit them? Well, 
I would say fairly soon. As I mentioned, when soil temperatures start to uh, start to elevate, uh, they'll move through their life cycle pretty pretty rapidly. I might wait another week or two and uh, look about mid-June and then uh, get, get on with your application at that particular time. Okay. I, I, so, think, uh, I think we're close, but you don't want to, uh, you want to make sure that they're, um, they move through that larval form and that uh, they're about to emerge, but you don't want to miss them. So I would say within the next uh, week or so, I'd probably uh, go, to, go after them. Okay. And then uh, uh, when I see the uh, moths, uh, uh, should I hit them again? Uh, or, or is there a, I think we, we spoke about a two-step application. Yes, I think I, I think I would. If some uh, survive that first application, then I would uh, I'd go after the moths. Uh, they can be. Do you have a lot of uh, turf area again that was pretty well depleted by these? Yes, I. Uh, yep, I waited too long, so now I've got a real battle. Yeah, it's uh, it's surprising how the populations can build, and it may take. Um, you may have to work with it through the season. You can come back, but first we got to get the insect out of there. Uh, Sabalim worm can be a problem. Um, we do have uh, some chinch bug issues. That's uh, different, though. That's going to attack uh, more in July when things get warmer. But in this case, I'd I'd try to get them uh, before they have a chance to complete their life cycle. So two step process and. Uh, Hopefully, you can clean up some of the moths a little bit later, but they can. Those two insects, uh, sod webworm and uh, chinch bug, can can really devastate uh, your efforts for a nice lawn, that's for sure. Should I um, wait to try to reseed maybe in the fall? Just keep. uh, You know, I think I would. Excuse me, that's a very good question there. I think I would. I think I'd try to be sure that you don't see any evidence and make sure you've got them eliminated. Actually, the fall of the year is going to be the best time. Early spring and early fall are the best times if you're going to be seeding. Sodding, if you've got the moisture, we, we get away with it on either end of the season. You can sod if you need to right up until the snow flies, really. But uh, seeding is a little bit different. So I would look at uh, watching things, and I'd look at about August 15th, August 20th. Uh, you can think about making sure you've got a seed bed prepared. So if you go to seed areas, we want to get that done. Let's try to get that done by about the first week in September. Then those grass seedlings have a chance to get established. Once again, you're going to work on a nice seed bed. Uh, first, your, your approach is right. Let's make sure there's no activity, uh, insect activity at all. Then let's reseed and uh, no fertility, plenty of moisture. Make sure you've got a good um, a good seed bed for that seed that you're going to put on. You're going to roll it in. You're going to roll it or drag it and compress it so we have good contact between soil and, and seed. And then we're going to, with bluegrass, we're going to look at about 21 days that we have to keep that moist. So if we don't have the moisture that comes along, you're going to have to have some kind of overhead irrigation uh, sprinkler system set up, and you hit that once a day, light application to keep it moist so that once these seedlings crack and start to germinate, uh, they can go out and we can drive some roots down. But I I think at this point I definitely uh, wouldn't think about seeding and I wouldn't want to be seeding. You know, you're not sure that you've got the insects under control yet. Uh, more than likely you don't. So let's think about uh, cleaning them up. Um, if you've got water, uh, maybe a little bit of fertility. If, it's, if the grass is real thin, get a little bit of that watered in. And then uh, your reseeding and your restoration will look at End of August, uh, mark that on the calendar, and we'll go with that kind of a time frame. 
Okay, <clears throat> fantastic. Yep. I'd, uh, I'd be glad to get this over with. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it can be a problem, and unless you've been through that, um, and um, unfortunately, it's an insect that, as you know, can fly in from any place, and uh, as uh, things warm up a little bit, we are seeing migrations of some of these insect pests. So it never bothered us in the past when winters were a little cooler, but we had a relatively mild winter with good heavy snow cover, so more than likely they made it through the winter pretty easily, and I think your approach is the right one at this point. All right. Perfect. All okay, right. Thank Thanks for the call. Very good. Great to hear from you. Yeah. What what uh, what bug are we talking about? What does it do to the lawn? Uh, you know, it'll come in there and it'll feed the larval form. It's not yeah. and will feed um, feed on that uh, those emerging grass roots oh. and the underground rhizomes. So we do have that. Um, that's not as prevalent. I mentioned this mm. other insect chinch bug, which you're already getting questions from people on that one. Wow. That's a very that one's a very small insect, and we it tends to not emerge in the spring. But uh, if you've got uh, People that claim you got chinch bug at this point, uh, tell them to sh- show me the insect first <laughs> and uh, get down there. They're very, they're small beetles. They got a very distinctive white uh, band across their, their wing cover. Uh, they're about a sixteenth of an inch. You get down there and look for them, and right at that interface between where there's lawn damage and where there's good, good green growth, right at that interface is where the uh, chinch bugs uh, will feed. And both these insects, sodwormer and uh, chinch bugs, feed on the root system, and that's why there's so much uh, damage out there. But Dave, when we get a chance, uh, this is different than winter kill. Mm-hmm. And what I'm seeing now, we're seeing uh, a fair amount of winter kill in some places on lawns, and we're seeing individuals that think they've got an insect problem. I say, if you you want to try to uh, identify and, and find the insect first, otherwise it can be other problems associated with getting your lawn reestablished it. All right, we'll take a break and be right back. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. we got another phone call, too, standing by, so hold up. All right, Bob, let's head back to the phones. Hi, who is this? Uh, Mark. Go ahead. Well, I have a question about a honey crisp that I planted about five years ago. Hmm. I called you uh, probably two years ago, Bob, and I was asking about this tree that had three nice uh, main branches, and you told me to take the first main good one and chop the other ones off, which I did. But I'm waiting for it to flower. It hasn't flowered yet. Okay. Uh, it, once again, this was an apple. Do you know the variety? Honeycrisp. Oh, it is a honeycrisp. Okay. Um, and this is only about we talked. I didn't hear that. I'm sorry. Uh, it, this was just about uh, two or three years ago that you re- you planted and uh, and pruned the tree. Well, I, I it's it's about I think it's like five years now since I planted it, but it's been two years since I pruned it. Like you advised okay. me. Okay. Okay. First off, it it often takes a while for these get us to get a step. No bloom this year. Is that correct? Yes. None yet. Okay. Um, you know, that's not at all unusual. I'm going to ask you another question. Uh, do you know, was it on a, what we call a standard rootstock, or was this a dwarf or a semi-dwarf rootstock? This is a semi-dwarf. Semi-dwarf. That's going to take just a, it'll take uh, uh, a little bit longer to come into flower there. Uh, I wouldn't be overly concerned. Now, is, is the tree, in the early portion of the apple's life, we want to make sure we've got a good, strong structure. So you've got that nice, long leader down the center. Is that correct? 
and then laterals coming off. Yes, it really is healing up really nice. Well, I'm, you know, I'm really pleased about that because at this point in the tree's life, that is the most important thing. And, and the fact that you did prune that up properly when I was young, it's kind of difficult once we get these slingshot crotches later in a tree's life, just as they're becoming into bloom, they're not structurally strong and they, they set up a lot of fruit and they can split that tree up. So, you know, you got a tree like this that could uh, certainly be productive for 40 or 50 years and if you handle it properly. So I think at this point, we're going to be just very patient with it. Now, early in the year, you can provide a little fertility. Is this, uh, you've got good sun, good drainage, uh, good leafy green growth at this point. Is that correct? Oh, yes. It has morning till sundown. Okay. I, you know, I, I think you've got, uh, you've got a good future ahead of you. Uh, it's just we're going to have to be a little bit more patient. It's just going to take a little bit more time. And you've been protecting the uh, the bark so we don't have any uh, any damage to the main trunk. Uh, yes, I have a protected I have a protective collar around it. Yes. Okay, that's just great. Now, the one thing I want to advise: they can suddenly a tree like this, depending on the soil, can sit for a long time, and then it takes off very quickly. Be a little conscious of the expanding diameter of your trunk, and you don't want it to come in contact with that. Uh, with that uh, plastic tube that you have around the outside, or if you're using a, we- a mesh of some type, uh, you want to make sure that you get that removed at that point. That might be you're five years old. That could be any time now, five, six, seven, eight years, uh, that the diameter of the trunk is going to expand, and I'll see people that will forget to take, and I did this myself once as well. Uh, you forget to examine them. You don't take that collar off that tube off, and then there can be significant damage as the water collects between the plastic and the main trunk. So now at this point, you want to be conscious of that. Uh, It's early in the year. I don't recommend this a little bit later, but right now you could get a little fertility out there. Uh, You're going to take a look at the farthest expansion of the the limbs, the lateral limbs, what we call a canopy of the tree, and you're going to go out another foot beyond that, then you're going to come in about uh, 75% of the distance to the main trunk. So this is where the active growth is occurring uh, of the tree's root system. So once again, you don't have to spread any fertility. It's probably a good idea not to get any up to the main stem, or you've got to protect it anyway, so there shouldn't be a problem. But I'd come maybe a foot or so away from the main stem, then I'd be fertilizing all the way out about a foot beyond that. And uh, we've got some nice weather here. If you've got water available, I'd probably want to soak that uh, you can use just a granular fertilizer. You can use a little uh, something like a lawn fertilizer without the herbicide if you like. If you want to take the time, you can actually punch some holes in the ground uh, so that we can get some of that fertility beyond the grass uh, root zone. So a little fertility at this time. Continue to protect. You've got good growth. You've got good structure. It's just going to take a little bit of time, and you will be uh, rewarded uh, in the long run on that one. Okay, my kids, my kids will be rewarded, not me. <laughs> <laughs> well, you never, you never know. You know, uh, I would say uh, we all got to be optimistic that way as we age a little bit. So you want to make sure that you enjoy that first great harvest when it comes. Okay. All right, Bob. Thanks again. Hey, thanks for hey, the call. Thank you. I'm, I'm actually pleased he's done the right thing. And mm-hmm. pleased that we're, we've got a structurally strong tree there that's been protected. Uh, they are very valuable. The Honeycrisp, again, the University of Minnesota introduction, one of the great varieties that went throughout the world but still performs best right here in the Midwest with the cooler weather that we have. And uh, he's going to be pleased. He just has to be a little bit uh, more patient. And I know when we talk years, as a person's age advances, uh, 
patience may be a little bit difficult, but yeah. uh, he's getting close. He's well on his way. <laughs> I know I, my tree just now started uh, blossoming, so. Yeah, they're a little late that way, yeah. that's for sure. Now it's, you know, we're getting that question. Look at the the landscapes right now. We've got mm-hmm. uh, flowering crabs that are just really beginning to break out. And, of course, when you get closer to the lake, that uh, that bud break, because it's cooler, is <laughs> delayed just a little bit. But right. you get up over the hill, you're in Duluth, you get in Hermantown, you work your way north uh, through Saginaw and so forth, and all you see are these beautiful flowering crabs out there. You know, Dave, uh, they do have a function uh, and, uh, and maybe after the break, we'll talk a little bit about the flowering crabs we are seeing and talk about the, the varieties that I think are tried and true if people are going to be planting some of these because they have multiple purposes for us. Crab trees uh, can be beautiful, but they also provide a lot of pollen for edible apple trees. All right. So, Bob, the uh, crab trees are flowering, and they provide more than just beauty and uh, good smelling, right? Yeah, they really do. Uh, and you just need to drive the... <laughs> Anywhere and take a look at the landscapes right now. And I thought I would mention uh, three oldies but goodies. Uh, we've got, uh, and you know, once you're aware of this, you'll pick them out everywhere. We've got a, a deep red uh, flowering uh, uh, crab uh, called Radiant, which actually is a little bit later. And they're just beginning to break bud right now. They got a nice uh, maroon leaf as well. And then uh, we've got. Uh, you know, a couple others. We've got one called Snowdrift, which is a white one that you'll see uh, certainly in your in your landscape. And uh, these these are just very, very prevalent. These were introductions to the University of Minnesota years ago, I mean, in the 40s and the 50s. And uh, they're still in our landscapes. They still look beautiful. Uh, they don't have quite the disease resistance as some of the newer introductions, but they're hardy. And so many of these are just really... Not hardy. Many of the newer introductions. We are still uh, zone three, even though things tend to be warming up a little bit. And uh, you have to number one, it has to survive, and so you want the hardiest material out there. So I think that we've got some good options. But we go back to some of the original uh, crabs. Now people will ask, well, will a flowering crab provide pollen for my edible eating apples? Mm-hmm. And you know, they definitely will. They're critical there. It's timing a little bit. Now they will. The flowering crabs tend to come a little earlier. So they will uh, provide pollen for some of your earlier maturing um, edible apples. I think of one that's uh, become very popular later, came out of the uh, Saskatchewan breeding program called Prairie Magic. And uh, that one blooms very early. Fruits very early. Typically, the the earlier the uh, bloom, the earlier the onset of the fruit. But unfortunately, many of the early fruiting varieties, apples now, uh, the fruit tends to be a little soft, doesn't keep very well. So we, you look at a variety like your Harrelson or Harold Red, a kissing cousin of uh, Harrelson, these are going to be later maturing, firmer apples, and uh, they tend to bloom just a little bit later. So, yes, the spring flowering uh, crab, even though you, you're selecting them maybe for the bloom, uh, they certainly uh, can provide pollen for your edible apples as well. We always suggest, and people I know are doing a lot of planting, we suggest, if at all possible, uh, get two trees that uh, bloom uh, relatively closely together. But if you're in town, there's a lot of pollen being moved around. And, of course, this is where the pollinating insects become so important. And uh, you must have a lot of them now that you went to Nomo May in Superior, Dave. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know if that's impacted your pollinator population. <laughs> but once again, uh, you could put one tree in your landscape in an urban area, and because your neighbors have got one or there's one down the block, the pollinating insects, 
are going to do a pretty good job of pollinating for you. I have seen my share of uh, bees and butterflies so far, so that's a good thing. You can see them, and and you're well aware of it. It's real interesting how, uh, you know, our concerns in society tend to shift. There was a time when people really got concerned if there was any broadleaf, a little plantain, a little clover, a little few dandelions uh, in your lawn, and uh, people would try to eliminate them all. And now we've got to shift back to the awareness that a lot of these lower stature flowering broadleaves really do provide food for pollinators, which are important for pollinating uh, your uh, fruit and vegetable gardens, for sure, as well as your uh, your fruit trees. Uh, we've got so much of the country that's really been dominated by corn and beans just for feeding the world's population, these huge monocultures that provide very little uh, food for the uh, pollinating insects. So really in our urban-suburban uh, near rural landscapes, uh, we can uh, we can do the pollinators a favor by uh, planting materials and, and maybe tolerating some of the uh, the flowering broadleaf plants in our lawn, Dave. Absolutely. Well, they're uh, they they're populating my lawn for sure. I got to cut them down again. <laughs> I'm afraid, but uh, I gave uh, I gave the insects a good uh, half a week with uh, bright yellow flowers. You did well. That's yeah. that's good. You gave you gave a, a shot there, incidentally. Since we're talking about the lawn, I I would like to go back to just mention. Mm-hmm. We talked. We had the question on the webworms. I've had several questions on chinch bug. We do have some chinch bug in the area, and incidentally, we found the first sample in Minnesota of this little insect that can cause problems in the lawn. We found it up in Hibbing. Mm-hmm. I found the first sample in uh, Dr. Marcus Cerno, Department of Entomology, University of Minnesota. I had called them and they said, uh, got an insect that's devastating a lawn here, and uh, I'm not an entomologist, taking a few courses in entomology. It looks to me like a chinch, chinch bug. And he says, can't be. We don't have them in Minnesota. Too cold. I said, okay, well, then I'm going to send you a sample and you identify it. He called me back and he said, well, you found the first <laughs> chinch bug in, in Minnesota. Wow. And it's, it's going to go into our, uh, our reference library here of insects. So. Yeah. Uh, and now they have since spread. The speculation was they were pretty heavy populations in the uh, down in the Ohio area. May have been brought up on one of the ore boats. There's product being moved back and forth, but they originated in, in Hibbing, and now we've got them throughout the north. And I guess down in the Twin Cities, but it spread from north to south. It's kind of kind of interesting. But yeah. again, they're later insects, so don't uh, you know you have someone that'll come out and maybe a lawn service says you got chinch bug. You may just have winter injury. We saw a lot of that where. I say to people, uh, if you if you've got someone that's going to treat in particular for an insect problem, and and it's justified in many cases because they can devastate a lawn, but uh, have them show you the insect first that's causing the damage. If there isn't any active feeding, there's no point in trying to do anything with control. So uh, right now, this time of year, and uh, when people say, "You know, I got chinch bug. I got lawn that didn't come back through the winter." Much of that is uh, winter damage. Remember, we had a very very dry. Uh, summer, so the, these plants were stressed to begin with, and then we came in with plenty of moisture in the fall. The problem is we had some lush green growth coming into the fall, and then it got very cold. So right through the month of October, we were harvesting tomatoes in the field last year, so it was a very, very warm fall without a frost, but we had lush green growth. Uh, grass and other perennial plants really want to gradually set down coming into the winter months. We didn't have that and in the situations where I've seen an excessive amount of winter kill, uh, in many cases, they were fall fertilizing. So if we're going to fertilize in the fall, which is a good time to get some fertility on the lawn, let's get it done early, let's get it done late late August, early September, and not late October. So some of these uh, situations, we just encourage lush growth, 
and then uh, the plant hadn't hardened off, and we had some injuries that occurred. So if you got open bare spots, this can be pet damage as well. But if you got open spots, uh, now is a good time uh, to do some seeding. I did make the comment earlier that when seeding, you're going to have to make sure you have a water source because mm-hmm. even if uh, you seeded before this last rain event and these uh, grass seed begins to crack, begins to germinate, and then we get a period of seven, eight, nine, ten bright warm days. We dry them down, and these small seedlings uh, just dry off on you. So the key is really about three weeks of moist conditions if you're going to seed. Seed soil contact, continuous moisture, not a lot, but keeping that seed bed moist so it doesn't crust and so that seedling can continue to grow and can get some roots. And then after about two or three weeks, then you can drive those roots deeper with about inch to inch and a half of water per week. But in the meantime, it's going to be daily application of a, of a light amount of moisture. So a lot of what we're seeing is not chinch bug at this point. It's not webworm. It is winter kill. And uh, we see that every year. And in some situations, particularly if there was a late fall application of fertilizer, um, we're seeing a, a, a significant amount of it spread throughout the North Lands. Yeah, that won't come back on its own. you got to reseed it then. Well, it will. Uh, it just—it's a question of time, you know. Okay. I, I think of yeah. some of our better uh, uh, fairways on our golf courses. They always come in and they overseed. <laughs> they all use the slip seeder because people don't want bare spots. They don't right. want to wait for them to come in. But bluegrass does spread, but it could take uh, much of the season to fill in. So we just can kind of accelerate that process by doing some overseeding and getting some additional started their day. All right, sounds good. 9.48, we'll take another break. The Bob Olin Show on KDAL. All right, Bob, this is the time that gardeners have been waiting all winter for. Time to get the stuff in the ground now. It's finally the uh, frost threat is, well, diminished anyway, right? Diminished. There's yeah. always that outside <laughs> possibility. It looks pretty good over the next week yeah. or so. And I think it's also time with all of the turmoil in the world where you just want to sit back and enjoy how beautiful it is this time of year. Uh, my favorite time of year, notice this lush green. We'll get this light color green as all the leaves are emerging. The grass is green, greened up uh, from the moisture we had. It It is just absolutely magnificent. So I think we just have to uh, just absorb all the beauty that's all around us. Our landscapes in the Northland are, are gorgeous right now. We talk about the uh, flowering crabs, which are certainly just coming into bloom. And uh, it's some we've now got some of the spring flowering shrubs as well, the PGM azaleas, the bright lavenders, the, uh, the northern lights azaleas are coming on uh, strong as well. So uh, we've got forsythia in the landscape. We've got a lot of beautiful flowering shrubs as well. So I think it's only here for a short time. That's the thing, like on your Harrelson, Dave, mm-hmm. uh, the buds are beginning to break. You probably have got one week, maximum 10 days, to really enjoy those buds, <laughs> and then we're on. So yeah. on to the next phase of growth. So you have to just take a step back. As they say, smell the roses, just enjoy it. Uh, the magnificent beauty we have is a time of renewal. It's a wonderful time of year in just sit back and enjoy every bit of it, whether you're taking a walk or from the windshield of your car. It's a magnificent time of year, Dave. Well, the wind we had over the weekend, we had some gorgeous weather, by the way, but uh, the wind got something loose, and it looked like snow all, all weekend long. <laughs> yeah, that, of course, is the uh, uh, some of the uh, the seed pods that are right. beginning to blow around. Uh, not snow, thank heaven. Yes. Uh, we had enough of that, and we'll have more of that coming, I'm sure. But uh, not now. Now we're going to just enjoy uh, enjoy the weather for sure. All right. What do you know? What plant those are from? Dogwood or something? Or oh, 
Uh, you know, it could be m- m- many cases. It's Aspen uh, that kicks uh, a lot of that up. We do okay. have cottonwood in the area as well. Ah. And uh, so it's, in many cases, we're seeing it uh, from our Aspen populations in the area for sure. Well, whatever it is, it should be growing everywhere after uh, all that stuff ended up. <laughs> Well, that is nature's way. <laughs> and, of course, soon the, Overkill. Uh, the yeah. will be kicking out their old helicopter seeds and ah. so forth. But uh, that's, a little, that's just a little ways away, and some of those will come be coming our way pretty soon as well, Dave. All right. So uh, well, I can sit back and enjoy, I guess, and get the stuff in the gardens. This is the time yeah, of year to do it. do that. And, you know, if you want, uh, you know, a little bit of uh, fertility for our trees and shrubs, if we're going to do it any time, I think that's a great project. I think... Uh, Certainly, uh, you can seed all those salad greens and get those in. Uh, those could have gone a little earlier, but frankly, we catch up. A lot of the, let's say, PC, as an example, yes, it would uh, it'll germinate when soil temperatures are 45 or 50, but now we're 55 or 60, and actually, they just germinate that much faster. So uh, you haven't lost a great deal by waiting a little bit longer. But a lot of the other warm season uh, vegetables that you're going to seed, you can certainly go right now. Soil temperatures right. are up. And uh, we got a good uh, good week to do some planning here coming up, Dave. So uh, really looking forward to it. Uh, looking forward to some of that fresh produce. There's nothing like what you grow yourself or buy from a local farmer's market, for sure. We got a, a quick question. Hopefully, how is this? This is uh, Pat Johnson. Hi, and Pat. I'm just, I'm just calling to um, ask about planting uh, the spruce trees and things. I noticed there are some little white tabs on the tops of the trees to keep the deer off, and I'm just wondering what those are or how you apply those on new um, trees that you buy so the deer don't nip them off. Is oh, great. Make, or um, I noticed in some of the plantings where they've done reforestation, um, I'm wondering if you can purchase those or if there's some item that they put on the top. Great question. First, hello, Pat. Uh, glad Hi. you made it through the winter. I hope family's well. We know Pat from a uh, number of years. And uh, what you got there is what's called a bud cap. And um, are you planting spruce, did you say? Oh, I had got some from the Arbor Day Foundation, and uh, it's a Norway spruce. Oh, and, wonderful. Um, and, um, of course, I like to do other things, too, but the deer are a real problem everywhere. And they are an issue, and they are a problem everywhere. I think that's well said. Um, I know because with the high population, you know, we're not getting a lot of restoration in the understory. So some of our uh, forested areas, the trees are maturing, and of course, they're not the mature tree isn't damaged, but all the emerging seedlings are being browsed off pretty heavily. So one way or another, I think some of that has to come under control. Um, replanting, uh, what you're seeing is bud caps, and they're, they're typically used on uh, our pine species because that terminal bud that's the one right at the top that's the one we can't lose if you lose that terminal bud then you drive growth uh, multiple with multiple stems we talked about that even on an apple tree we really want a tree that grows straight and tall from that terminal bud so you'll see these uh uh, papers that are stapled and we've used different things. Uh, you got to make sure you get them through the winter and then if, and then reapply so you can actually uh uh, you can use, uh, and they, they manufacture them as well, but you can use just uh, recipe cards or there are some, even better, there are some paraffin-based uh, papers that are water-resilient. You can cut those and just staple them over the bud that's 
very typically done in the fall of the year because uh, at this time uh, there's plenty to forage on and in most cases they'll leave those buds alone but coming into the fall when they're trying to put that tallow on uh, that's when there's a lot of damage so I think it's a good late summer early fall activity on the on the new growth the new buds there and just take as an example a three by five recipe card folding about stapling both sides together on the on the terminal bud in particular that's the uppermost bud but the good thing about spruce now they might bother um, the emerging growth which is very tender but spruce they don't like so I think that uh, you know it's a sharp prickly uh, needles the short needles there so I think spruce you mentioned Norway. I think that's an that's an overlooked species. Beautiful. They got these great draping pendulous uh, branches on them and the growth. And that, that's a magnificent tree. Nice and hardy. Not native because it did come out of Norway, but nonetheless, uh, very well suited for this area. So, white spruce, black spruce, and Norway spruce. I think are are trees that can go in the landscape, and we don't have much of a threat from from deer. But any of the pines, we got to make sure that we got those protected one way or another, either with fencing or with bud capping, and fencing is more of a permanent solution. Bud capping needs to be done really annually as those trees grow till they get above uh, a certain height when the when the deer won't bother them. But that's late summer, early fall, protection for the winter there, Pat. Okay? So it's just stapled on, is it? Um, you, you can make bud caps? or Yeah, you can make your own bud caps uh, in about three by five, and then you just fold it around that, um, that terminal bud, and then a couple of two, three staples along the side where you uh, folded the uh, the paper material around and uh, you've got a bud cap. Sounds good. Hey, Bob, thank you. We'll catch you again next week. More of the Bob Olin Show here on KDAL. The Bob Olin Show has been brought to you by Dan's Garden Center. Located in Dan's Feed Bent in Superior. And by WLSSD's Garden Green. Compost you'll dig.